Hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm Corey, and I'm Try. And welcome to the My Life in Gaming RGB Masterclass Live, which is not technically just an RGB panel. For everyone that is interested in asking other things, you can feel free to. Right. So, um, you know, so I guess, in, you know, I, I don't know if everyone here is familiar with what we do, but, you know, we do. Uh, Various videos on YouTube. I mean, we're kind of known for more tech-type videos, although that was never necessarily the intention when we started making videos, but that's kind of just what we ended up focusing on a lot. But another thing that we uh, always kind of wanted to do from the beginning was uh, do sort of documentary-type stuff where we talked to different people and kind of got their, you know, told their story. Like, the idea behind the name My Life in Gaming was never about, like, my life in gaming or Corey's life in gaming it was always supposed to be about like other you know wh whoever was in the episode yeah it was was the subject of the focus right and so like we've done several documentaries over the past few years and we spent last year shooting a ton of interviews for with mostly with people involved in kind of the retro tech scene mm -hmm. and uh, you know it, it's definitely the biggest project we've ever done I think mm -hmm. it's going to be kind of a five-part mini-series a, a mini-series event <laughs> and uh, so uh, we've never really shown before uh, kind of what the interviews look like uh, or even who all is in it we've got 12 interviews with you know people that a lot of people in here will will recognize. Including Although they may recognize the name, but maybe not the faces. Right, exactly. So uh, it, it's kind of about telling their stories as well as uh, just sort of get, getting the information about retro gaming and retro tech out there in a, in a different way than what yeah. we've Preservation, done Preservation, all kinds of yes, different ways yes. to play. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty complex and, you know, we just kind of wanted to, to share our, our cast of characters, mm -hmm. so to speak. So... The way I do like to think of myself, which is something I've always kind of been good at, is being the middleman. So the information was always out there, and the very smart, very awesome people in the scene were always out there helping people. But it just, it takes a lot to compile all that info. And to be perfectly honest, if I knew how much time I would have sunk into this, uh, I probably wouldn't have made the website. <laughs> So, so we've got the middleman here. <laughs> I went back and forth with Bob so much, like trying to figure out. Like Bob's like, you know, I never really thought about what, what, what do I, what do I do? Or yeah, like what, what, what do I call myself? Yeah, which is really a problem with almost anyone in this scene because people are doing very non-standard stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we we finally decided to call him a facilitator and content creator. <laughs> uh, what, what was it I originally had? I forget what it was. Webmaster. Webmaster <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> so anyway, Bob is, uh, you know, he is the, the founder of the website RetroRGB, and, you know, was, which was hugely important in us even discovering this kind of stuff. And uh, he lends such a, uh, a great perspective to the documentary series because he... He also has like a background in, in technology manufacturing. So he's able to provide this very realistic assessment of uh, what, what is required for 
you know, getting this stuff created and what are some pitfalls that people might not even be looking for uh, if they were to get into this? I think a lot of people have sort of a, a skewed view of like, oh, this is too expensive. Why is this thing so expensive? And, you know, I think Bob is able to very well illustrate like the challenges to, of creating technology on a small scale. <laughs> so you have anything to add before we move on? Uh, you said that you had the, like, he was one of the easiest interviews to edit because he, he, has, he has the longest soundbite in the entire so entire far project. So far, he's got the, the longest, like, continuous, uncut voice clip because he's just got, like, he just, he knows all this stuff off the top of his head and he just, like, he knows what he wants to say and he just, he says it without a lot of filler <laughs> and... It, you know, Bob is Bob is uh, a treasure to this community and a, a and a local to this area, so everyone can be proud to have him here. <laughs> Speaking of locals to this area, there's actually three here. So, costumes are meant to last like 30, 40 years. Sometimes the components around the tube fail, and not the tube. So this is Jose Cruz. Uh, it was we when we were in New York City uh, in September last year. We interviewed Bob and we met Jose, and we knew about Jose through Bob's videos. And he does uh, CRT repairs. Uh, I mean, also console modding, but also our, uh, RGB modding CRTs. And you know, he's just really an expert in that area. And uh, we were just like, oh my gosh, we got to interview this guy. So it was very, uh, very quick thing that we did, but uh, it's it's also turned out to be an invaluable part uh, perspective uh, for for the documentary. I mean, for the record, like Tri has been working on this. I've been doing everything else, mm -hmm. so he has a lot more to say, a lot more input on specifically this project. Outside of you know, I was we were together shooting it. But he's been writing it and editing it and doing everything in relation to it for months now. <laughs> yeah, it is, you know, so this... Which is why you might see a lot more videos from specifically me. Right. In the, in the meantime. Right. Or have seen videos from me. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, Jose, Jose was great, and I wish we, we had even more time to talk to him, but, uh, but he, 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 is, he is adding a lot to, uh, to, the, to the story, I think. Silicon's probably going to be good for, you know, beyond our lifetime. But there are components in all of these old systems that have a finite lifespan. And if you don't change them, can yield damage. So this is uh, Voltar. I think most people usually only hear his voice in his videos. He, he's on camera sometimes, yeah, though. Yeah, a very, very smooth voice. You know. <laughs> he, he, is, he is definitely an interesting character, for sure. Uh, and actually, the first interview we shot for this whole thing. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, because like between, like, Southern Kentucky, where Voltar is, and up through like Indianapolis, mm -hmm. is like in this Midwest area that's not all that far apart, is like retro tech central. There's yeah. like so many people involved in this. The, that this are within about two hours away from me. So it, it worked out well. We could time a lot of these to meet with everybody days in a row. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Voltar. Uh, he provides a lot of great perspectives on almost everything because he just knows the insides of these consoles as well or better than anyone. And, uh, uh, you know, has created a lot of technology around them and uh, it just has, has a really well-rounded understanding of, of everything 
regarding game tech. Mm -hmm. Today, yes, that was my dream hardware since, I mean, since I was a kid. We thought, you know, we're going to make our own games, make our own console, and sell it to Nintendo. <laughs> so this is, most people know him as Bunny Boy, uh, or by his company name, which is Retro USB. Uh, and this is uh, the guy who made the AVS, uh, mm -hmm. which was really the first FPGA console to really be sold. Like there was the Mist FPGA before then, but it wasn't really a plug and play thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the AVS was like the first thing that was just ready to just like plug into your TV, pop in a cartridge and plug in a controller and just play it. Um, it, it actually beat the, the NT Mini to market uh, in that regard. Yeah, by just a couple months. By just a couple months. I mean, uh, so, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he he is probably has like the sharpest, most like concise answers to any person we had because he just like I mean you could just tell that this guy like is just brilliant mm -hmm. like his mind just like works in a way that's just like he he just he just knows so much and knows exactly what he wants to say and um, he uh, he he lives in um, uh, in the sort of the, the Bay, the Bay Area in yeah. California, which, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of close to, like, Frank Cifaldi. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, they know each other. So he also has, like, some ideas about preservation and, and things like that. But, you know, just, again, just a really well-rounded, you know, intelligent person about all matters regarding retro tech. What, what's interesting about him is he almost exclusively cares about the NES. Yeah. Like, he, uh, he, um, he started to make... Um, Super Nintendo stuff for a while. And he's like, I didn't grow up with this. I don't care about this. I just wanna, I just wanna work on what I care about, which is NES. And he's, I mean, you know, he, we saw a, a world championship or not world championships. Well, maybe he had one of those too. He has, he, has, he has everything. Yeah, it's all like yeah. in this shed out, out back of his house that you walk inside and it's just it's like got a, like a marble floor. And it's like all really nice in there. He's got this gigantic Rob the Robot like yeah. presentation, like this like. NES storage case that's got like a, a giant rob like looming over it. It was <laughs> it was so cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so um, I forgot how I was going to say anything else about that. But oh, and another thing that he's a pioneer in is, is the flash cartridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, power um, pack. The power pack, uh, which, you know, obviously has had a, a huge impact uh, now. So, you know, the power pack was around before, you know, Everdrives and stuff that kind of really popularized it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the way I approach things is kind of bottom up. I start at one place and just build on it until it's done. You know, it's like you know, making a mountain with one grain of sand at a time. You know, it seems kind of pointless to do very, you know, working on very small things is working on another small thing and another one and another one and another one. If you do a couple thousand of those, then you're done. <laughs> yeah, just, just do a couple thousand. <laughs> Things <laughs> so nonchalantly says it too. It's like, oh, yeah, you're just done. You're done. You're done. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows knows Kev Triss here. Um, we spent a long time with him. Uh, he is actually getting his his an entire episode of this series is dedicated to him and his story. Uh, we covered him a little bit in the in the Super NT episode, but this goes into his past, like all the stuff he grew up working on we got to look at he took us through like his his journals and stuff that he wrote when he was a kid yeah. all of his old uh things that he would uh design as a kid he had this thing where it would 
you drive around with it on top of a car, and it would send out these infrared uh, beams everywhere and change people's channels as he like drives. <laughs> I don't know if he's. I, I think he said he didn't actually do that, but he designed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did do it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he he made all kinds of crazy things, and I think what's interesting is so much of this stuff that he made in his past was really just for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just experience upon experience upon experience. And now like, you know, he's in his forties and he's, he's like gained all this recognition now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, I think his story is interesting because it just goes to show like, if you like sort of stick with what is interesting to you mm-hmm. and, and, and what you you really enjoy, like eventually you'll just find yourself in the right place. And he has yeah. found himself very much in the right place now where he is just designed these consoles, uh, you know, it's almost become an annual event, you yeah. know. He makes He's, consoles and cryogenic... Uh, cryogenic controls. His day job <laughs> is he creates cryogenic controls. And the funniest thing about that, I think, is that, I mean, he's been doing this for, like, at least two decades now, mm-hmm. and he designed a cryogenic control. This isn't for, like, freezing bodies, by the way. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like cell samples for research and stuff. But he, he designed one with a, a Z80 processor, which is, like, you know, the processor in a lot of old consoles, like the ColecoVision and the Sega Master System, mm-hmm. and, and there's one in the Sega Genesis for backwards compatibility reasons. When he made an FPGA core for, like, the Master System, really just as you know, for himself, because he hadn't released that stuff mm-hmm. yet. Like, he reverse-engineered a Z80 processor. Well, the Z80 became difficult for them to find it, to install in, you know, one of their best-selling products at his day job. So he just took the FPGA core that he designed for a Sega Master System and put it in a cryogenic control. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But we wanted to focus on Keptris for an entire episode because it's, he is just a, such a good example of you know, we've kind of looked at these other topics in these other episodes, but, like, here's, like, what one person has done with this stuff. This is just one example of a person who has... It's arguably the most successful out of everybody, I'd say. In, 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 in a sense, very, very possibly so. So, at least the most, possibly the most recognized for yes. his work. So, uh, so we kind of want to highlight that, but also, like, you know, hey, you know, maybe you can do it, too. <laughs> Probably not. On this side, I think about all the people that have spent so much time helping newer people learn how to program. That's how I got started. I wasn't really a programmer before then. It was like kind of my first programming language, and it's like that for a lot of people. I never made games before, and then just starting on NES, learning assembly language. So again, Indiana, like people are just <laughs> doing retro stuff. Uh, all, all around Indiana. This is uh, Joey Parcell. He's mostly known as Mimblers Online. Uh, I personally did not know about him until we visited Kevtris. And yeah, he's friends with Kevin, so it was. He, he works with Kevin. He works. He 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 works with Kevin on the cryogenic controls. Uh, so uh, and he happens to also be the founder of a of a website called Nesdev. It's not NES Dev or Nesdev. It's they, they at least Kevtris insists it's Nesdev. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, he, um, you know, he, he does a lot of like, you know, homebrew type stuff. I think he's worked on like some like new mappers for NES games and things like that. And we, uh, we interviewed him, you know, kind of as a friend of Kevtris to get more insight into what he's done and also about sort of the community uh, of, right. of, of, of retro games. And I think a lot of people don't really... 
think a lot about like homebrew games and like all the effort that goes into that and i think him as well as uh bunny boy retro usb were able to provide that perspective very well because uh they you know they make games themselves I think there's this weird misinterpretation that just because someone works at a company called Nintendo and has a business card that says Nintendo on it, that makes them somehow more qualified to emulate a Nintendo system. And I don't think that's true at all. I think that the collective communal knowledge that has come from open source emulation projects is like, I mean, frankly, like there's there is no way that Nintendo wasn't looking at open source software to figure out how their old hardware works. So, I, I mean, show of hands, who saw this guy at, at the convention this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> we have run into Frank Cifaldi, like, on, like, five different occasions and interviewed him for, like, four different projects, only one of which is actually out yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got together with him to work on something else, and then we said, well, he'd also make, be a good fit for this and, yeah. and this. <laughs> and like, oh, we're going to be in San Francisco interviewing Bunny Boy. Can we interview for M2? <laughs> Yeah, so, coincidentally, this was not in the San Francisco area. This was actually at the Galloping Ghost. In, yeah, in Chicago. In Chicago, the and um, uh, we were there shooting another project, and um, he was there as well. And so, anyway, Frank uh, Frank has worked on uh, a lot of sort of the, the 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 good emulation collections that have come out in recent years through Digital Eclipse. Um, and but he's most known as a as a preservationist mm-hmm. and sort of a, a a vocal proponent of preservation and also specifically kind of the use of emulation uh, as preservation at least in terms of a way to make them accessible ga- uh, the history of games accessible to as many people as possible um, and he's got a lot of very like big academic ideas <laughs> about this kind of stuff so he provides a very good uh, educated intelligent perspective in that regard. And he's been, he's been at it for a lot longer than I had any idea at yes. first. You know, he helped Kevin with dumping stuff a long time ago. Yeah, this this guy is responsible for the fact that we've got unlicensed uh, a complete set of unlicensed Taiwanese any uh, Famicom games available. <laughs> like he like even in his youth he was like obsessed with like we 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 got to like find all these games and, and preserve them and back them up. He's very open about, you know, like, hey, piracy, you know, emulation, whatever, you know. Uh, you know, he just wants games to be accessible. He's not shy about that. And and he's very useful uh, in terms of the, the story of the documentary for providing a very well-rounded uh, uh, perspective on emulation, especially software emulation, because a lot of people think that we're like all like anti-emulation or whatever, and no, that's not true at all. Like we, we just want people to play the way they want. We they want to play. We just think it's interesting to look at different ways to play. We like to play on hardware, but like there's so many. Th- this whole series is really a celebration of all the ways that you can play games and all of the ways that they have been preserved and that the hardware has been improved and changed and expanded upon and uh you know frank is very central to uh explain sort of the emulation side of it. even if emulation got absolutely perfect and you know absolute hardware emulation in cases i still rather have the original system the original keyboard the original game because also if you have if you buy the games it's more expensive to play them. If you download them all, there's no incentive really for me. 
So that, this is Rachel Selesky, um, and she is the main person uh, at Retro Access. She is the person that, that manufactures and sells uh, RGB cables for the <laughs> most part in, in the United States. But you might have been able to guess from her voice that she is not originally from this continent. Uh, she's actually from Northern England. And <laughs> I, what I think is fun about that, it's like, it's like, you know, British person comes to America and sells British culture in the way of SCART connectors. <laughs> and for the record, like two weeks after shooting this interview, she moved to the Indiana, uh, uh, Ohio, Cincinnati area. Yeah. Like so, about 10 minutes away from me. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> we've, we've got access to like all of these, like, or, or at least you do around you. You've just got access to so many, like, retro tech people. But actually, at this time, she was still in Florida. And uh, I was actually in Florida shooting a, another freelance project. But I'm like, well, there's people I want to interview in Florida, too. So I'm going to take advantage of this. So, but anyway. Um, I mean, this is probably a lot of people's first time seeing Rachel. Because, you know, she has, like, always had, like, a little photo. On, on, on eBay. On, but she's on, not even on eBay anymore. Right. So, um, but, you know, she has really gone to great lengths to, um, you know, use the highest quality cable stock and to, you know, self-check, you know, the, how, how cables ought to be mm -hmm. designed and stuff like that. But uh, just like everyone, you know, she wasn't really talking about cables in that clip there. Just like everyone, we asked everyone a variety of questions. And it was kind of funny because this whole thing that she was saying, like, you know, you want to use the original cartridge rather than, like, just choosing a game from a list. Like, totally independently like three or four people that we interviewed like said almost that exact same thing and we're like yes that's exactly how we feel again not that i have anything against emulation but it's just like for me it's like i like i'm like choosing from a list it's just like yeah i died i'm going you know move on you know so it's it, it I, I think a big part of this is also like celebrating like why do people play retro games like what is appealing about and uh, I think she had a lot of good perspectives about that as well, including perspectives about growing up in PAL territory. You know, having to deal with that, which she said some interesting things I didn't even know about, about PAL, so. I think there's always gonna be factions that prefer the visual to be a certain way, and factions that don't care. And I think they both hate too much, they should just let each other be. Because it's fine either way. So this is—you're better at pronouncing his name than I am. Uh, Jason Rauch. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Indiana area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was funny because you know he tells the story about selling his—you know—getting started with selling, uh, you know, the NES, like AV modded NES. And I went back to before the, the channel started, and I bought rebought my NES off of eBay, and it was from him. <laughs> Although he was a little embarrassed with how some of those early NES systems were put together. Yeah, he has yeah. improved his technique quite a lot over the but years. But now he's more of a, like a middleman. Like he's selling pre-modded stuff and also kits. Like he doesn't do a lot of modding. He doesn't really do any modding himself anymore. Right. Like, like at least for, right. I mean, for people. And that's kind of a common theme, I think, with a lot of people we talk to. Like some people got into modding, but it's easy to get burned out on just modding systems. And I think a lot of people, they... You know, once they start understanding the technology better, they want us to do more interesting things than just install, 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 install. So, um, it's it, 
it, it, it's just it, he provides a lot of interesting perspectives in that regard. And, and you know, he, he's just such a, a down to earth, you know, almost kind of folksy sort of guy. <laughs> and it, it just, I feel like he provides a warm, straightforward, very real presence yeah. to to the to the documentary. He's, he's very no, he's no BS. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 a good guy. We really enjoyed hanging out with him. It's super valuable knowing how stuff works at a very fundamental level. If you just take something and implement it and don't know how it works and something goes wrong, you don't know where to start troubleshooting. So this is Steve Kuloff. People may have seen his face in our, our stuff before because we actually interviewed him like way back before the HD retrovision cables were even mm-hmm. released. Like I remember at that time, you know, we were all like nervous like oh i don't i don't know if, you know these people seem kind of like a big deal they, they got hd in their name and it's not really hd <laughs> <laughs> but uh um, they're they given the wrong impression i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's the and his business partner nick have been in a, a a little documentary we did like years ago three or four years ago yeah, almost, like a little eight minute documentary yeah but yeah uh, so Steve is back and uh thing i really appreciate appreciate about Steve is that he just has like the highest standards of anyone in the world mm-hmm. uh and he he's like very by the book and sticks to it and sticks to the specs and that's why all this stuff is why all their stuff is so good it works correctly because he you know everything is on scopes you know like testing 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 yes one thing he says is he says testing 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 more testing mm-hmm. uh and he he provides a lot of good advice for like hey like here's like how to do things right you know mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and also as you know uh, someone who has started not just selling small scale stuff but I mean it is relatively small scale but it is a business and they've gone through lots of manufacturing stuff I mean he he knows all these considerations and pitfalls that you run across with with that kind of stuff. So, I mean, he's, he's got, he's got experience in, in many, many ways in that, as far as that goes. He's got an awesome basement too. This is where this was, was shot. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was, there was some, it's like, uh, it's like a time warp. Yeah. There, there was, there were some star Wars figures with like, like, like cobwebs and like, like maybe like, like, like two decades, two decades of dust <laughs> on them. <laughs> So this is Dan Koontz, better known as Citrus 3000 PSI, uh, also Indiana. What is mm-hmm. up with Indiana? <laughs> that's, that's crazy. <laughs> I, I asked Mimblers that, and he's like, um, I don't, I don't know. We're kind of behind the times, I guess. Nothing to do. Nothing to do. Um, but uh, Dan, Dan is kind of a newcomer to the scene, and, and Bob was kind of a big champion of, of his uh, early on. Uh, when he started doing cool things like uh, C-Sync mod for PS2. And he has really just exploded his output um, with all sorts of different projects that are available to do different things for GameCube and Dreamcast, like HDMI output. And he has collaborated with a guy called Christoph, uh, who has designed like a lot of software to run like cool mods, but Dan designs the hardware. He's become very, very good at just optimizing that hardware. He's just got a very clean process for 
creating hardware and installing hardware. And um, he, everything he does is open source. You know, sometimes he'll do like a run of stuff on his own because it's a complicated thing. Why not go to the creator to, you know, support them a bit? But it's all open source. Anyone who knows how to assemble the PCB for whatever he creates, they can just download it and do it. So he, he provides a lot of open source perspective, which is, uh, which is also a, a big topic that, that we get into. I have a weird relationship with this stuff. Um, when I would buy stuff, I would look for stuff that's in good cosmetic quality, but I don't care if it works. <laughs> look at that gigantic PS2 behind him. That's a, that's a PS2 dev There's kit. one out there. Oh, is there? Yeah, it's, PS, it's the PS2 most tool. PS2 it's the most hilarious looking thing. Uh, it's <laughs> like it's like literally a fat PS2, but like just <laughs> just bigger. It's it's hilarious. Uh, this is Evan Amos, who a, a, an unsung hero. I feel like of the of the retro gaming scene. Everyone in this room has seen his work, but I don't know how many of you actually know who he is. Yeah, I mean, he was he is somebody we wanted to do, to do a documentary on specifically on him for the longest time is kind of the first documentary idea that we had. Mm -hmm. And we decided to integrate it into this, like after the fact. Right, so we, uh, we, again, when we were in New York City last year, we visited him and it, intended for it to be its own thing. But if we haven't been clear, he, this is the guy who makes all of the good hardware shots, game hardware shots on Wikipedia. And he has gone to and incredible lengths to acquire as much of this stuff as possible so he can really give it the care and, and documentation that it deserves. Break it down, take, take photos, detailed photos of every single aspect of it. Including, you know, the motherboard and the different layers and, and all that stuff. And he has done incredible work and basically dedicated his life to this. He has, like, accepted this as, like, a lifelong <laughs> job. Um, and uh, originally it was going to be its own thing, but then I kind of had this revelation that, well, you know, he's playing into preservation. And even though it's like the surface level preservation, it's also very important because this is what people see. And uh, I also thought like, you know, having his story be a part of all of these other people's stories, like kind of, kind of elevates it and mm -hmm. uh, makes it so that more people understand who this guy is and what he's done. I mean, freaking Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft have used his photos. <laughs> Un uncredited. Yeah, he's got. He, he bought a T-shirt at Target that has that has an Atari Twenty Six Hundred that was out. That just his photo. It was. It was. It was out. It wasn't like his photo, but it was outlined. Well, there's a Nintendo Sixty Four one that had this console on it too. Yeah, yeah. I always tell it because it didn't have a logo or a label on the, the cartridge. Yeah, yeah. It's from Target. Yeah, yeah um, but, I mean, but the stuff he releases is uh, public domain. You know, yeah. I mean credit is nice but it's, you know people are free to use this stuff and it's it's just an incredible service that that uh that that he's provided so uh last but not least that was it <laughs> <laughs> that went a little bit longer than i thought it was gonna well you know uh, <laughs> so anyway uh you know we're we're just here talking and whatever and yeah. asking, you know, questions about, you know, this or any RGB questions you have or anything anything else you think that we <laughs> have something to say about. Yeah. All right. Uh, right here. Uh, we met through a, uh, a site called The Backloggery. It's a game collecting site, and Tri was one of the co-founders of it. And 
you know, we just got to talking that way because, you know, you, you track your game collection, but it also tracks, uh, you can track uh, how you, if you finish the game, if, it, if you haven't played it. And it really changed the way that I played games, and we just became friends because we had a very similar video background. You know, about, about two years after I joined the site, maybe a year and a half after. And yeah. we met in person at MAGFest one year. And, and then later that year, I was my YouTube channel. Yeah, because we, we both have a video background, and we asked, uh, our, we said, you know, we were really bored with what we were doing at our day jobs, so we said, let's make a YouTube channel, and we can actually edit stuff that we are interested in <laughs> and are excited about. Yep, yep we're here. Okay. Okay. Mm. Uh, my, I, my, mine is definitely the, uh, the M2 Complete Works documentary that came out a couple months ago. It was the most challenging thing I've ever done, you know, editing in a different language than I speak. Uh, but, I mean, it was when that finally released, because we shot that last June, and by the time it finally released, it was, like, I could feel, like, the welling up inside of me. It felt like this, like a huge part of my life was spent working on this that like, I wanted to cry about it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, but I, like, I wanted to. Uh, for me, it would be the uh, Tom Dubois documentary that we released, uh, what was it, like maybe January? Yeah. And um, that, that video like, garnered like this incredible response that did not reflect in the number of views it got, <laughs> which is, is Yeah, so for people who don't know, Tom Dubois uh, is the American artist who drew the Western box art for most or at least a huge chunk of Konami's games uh, from like 88 through 93, I think, mm -hmm. at some point in 93. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you've got like a bunch of Contra games, Operation C, Contra 3, Bayou Billy, Bayou Billy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Castlevania 3 is one of the best ones. Castlevania 4. Uh, Belmont's Revenge on... on uh, I mean, a just a really unique style. And I think that people... Like when most uh, U.S. gamers think of you know, Konami during those years, they think of those images. Yes. And I think people also like generally think... Like, ooh, American box art is worse than Japanese box art. But Not he was the exception. Or a exception. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just his images are just, they, they really capture that, the spirit of the game and, and of the times. And what was so neat about him was he had no idea, like, the impact. The, it, and anyone cared. And, you know, because people like us, like, just hold on to what we love really, really hard. Like, his artwork is like, it's never going to be irrelevant because they are attached to some of the most acclaimed games of all time. And he didn't have any idea. He had no idea because he wasn't really he watched some VHS tapes, but he wasn't really playing the games, but he he captured that that exciting spirit of it and and it was it was emotional for him too to start to realize like this this impact. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We have a huge list of videos that we want to make that uh, I feel like we don't, we'll never get to them all. And even when it's time to do the next video, we end up doing something that's not on the list. 
So the list gets longer, but never shorter. Yeah, I mean, we've got like definitely ideas of like people we would like to interview for more documentaries, oh, yeah. but definitely nothing that's really locked we, down. We we learned a valuable lesson last year. We shot so many uh, interviews and for different documentaries, and most of them aren't out yet. That it's okay. So we will uh, do one at a time going forward. Yeah, one, one thing that I kind of have in progress but had to put on the back burner to get other projects done, um, when we did a, a video on uh, Castlevania Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night last year, that was kind of a revelation for us because this was like a... I was, we wanted to come up with a new format of just game-focused episodes that still felt like us. You yeah. know, it felt like our well, why, kind why people of, watch us for why it. people watch us for the, you know, the the overly comprehensive look at things and a little bit of tech tech to it. Uh, and that was a format we've been trying to nail down for a long time and then all of a sudden like we just made a video that's like, "Oh, this is kind of what we wanted to do." So, like you did a similar video for Fantasy Star last year. Uh, something that I started doing, which this is, you know, oftentimes we try to stray away from the, the obvious, obvious, obvious games. But, like, I mean, I can't help it. I'm a huge Mario fan. And I want to do a video that is, like, how to play all of the 2D Mario games. Like, and look at all the different ways you can play them. And I kind of started working on it, but had to go on the back burner. But maybe, maybe later this year. had to go year. on the back burner when, when the script was 50 pages. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't get that far yet, but it was on track, maybe. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, so th that, that I think in general, like <laughs> certain games that we're really passionate about those, we want to do similar videos like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I'd like to do one for, for Sonic one. Uh, I've been talking to, uh, John Lenneman from Digital Foundry. We want to do like a, cause we're both a big fan of the first Sonic game and there's a billion versions of the first Sonic game. So we thought it'd be like a collaboration, like a Digital Foundry, uh, gaming crossover. Oh, yes, sir. We had an awesome time in Japan, but it was it was crazy. Uh, we that would not have happened without the help of our good friend uh, Jimmy Hoppe from uh, Internet Ga uh, Import Gaming for the Win, uh, and he like really made that happen. But uh, we were going all over the place, lugging all this equipment. You know, he was he was our he was our uh, interpreter for an interview where our hired interpreter could not make it that day. And it was like the most important interview. And Jimmy has never done interpretation before. And, and nailed he, it. And nailed it. And, you know, luck, you know, he really knew the stuff that they were talking about. Right. So that helps a lot. Like it, it was, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, I, it feels weird to say this, but, like, we're, we're the right people to interview him to. Because, <laughs> like, they're, do, they, everything to them is this obscure, like, specific stuff with, with, old games and like the general you know journalists that might have interviewed them probably haven't spent as much time as we yeah. have thinking about like it would have been more of the modern stuff but we were able to dig deeper and go right and I, it was so stuff. awesome how excited like especially uh, naoki hori the the president of m2 was like to just talk about it, the whole history like yeah. he, he loves to talk about that stuff and you could see these like Flashes of excitement. Yeah, but you didn't eyes. think we were there until you like saw. Until I saw the footage, because when you're there interviewing, especially with like that gap between waiting for the interpretation and all that, like I, it was hard to really get a sense for like how into it he was. 
uh, especially when you're just focused on shooting and just doing your job. Uh, and then, like, when I saw, like, what you were editing, it's like, oh, he's just, like, he really carries this. He's just got mm. this great personality, you know? Yeah, but it was, it was very much a, a dream project that I could not have imagined ever doing. One, <laughs> I, I can't believe it did. One, one thing uh, that, you know, is definitely, you know, something you wouldn't see watching the documentary that just, like, left a huge impression on me was uh, after we, we were th shooting there three days and we left our equipment there every day. The first day we took a taxi there because we didn't want to take our, haul our equipment on the trains again. We had to do that from the airport and it wasn't fun. <laughs> and uh, so we took a cab there. And so we were like, oh, you know, uh, can we were, there were, there's one guy there who speaks pretty good English. Mm -hmm. uh, we asked him, like, can you, like, call a cab for us or something? And then, like, Naoki Hori heard it, and he was like, oh, well. <laughs> so he, he offered to drive us, he offered to drive us back, and it's like, wow, the president of M2, like, drove us back to our hotel? Like, that, that just, like, left a huge impression on me, like, wow, that was just, like, super generous and cool. And I never <laughs> would have thought something like that would have happened. <laughs> oh, over, over here. You know, uh, a year ago, you know, one cool thing about the fact that we shot our interviews for this documentary series last year, and it's taken like a year to get it together, Bob said, you know, the, my most wanted thing that doesn't exist is a Sega CD optical drive emulator. And I'm really glad that we waited because that would have been outdated like in a couple of months if I'd finished this, you know, earlier this year. Yeah. So uh, that is no longer a valid answer to that question. Um, you know, something that I think a lot of people look at is like, oh, why is it all this focus on Nintendo consoles for mm. HDMI output? Why don't other systems have them? Um, I mean, for one, one thing I think people, you know, when people get annoyed that you cover too much Nintendo stuff, I think they, they don't, they don't realize, I mean, Nintendo has been doing this for longer than anyone else who's still in the game. They have more systems. That's just how it is. Uh, but another thing, uh, like Sega Genesis, and I think Sega Saturn, maybe Bob probably knows this pretty, uh, better than I do, but my understanding is that the way that the video is generated in those systems you shouldn't really count on getting a, a direct digital HDMI mod out of like Genesis and Saturn. Is that? Count out for Genesis, cross your fingers for Saturn. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's just the way that the hardware is designed. So, I mean, that's stuff I would love, but it's a little bit pie in the sky. I mean, can you think of uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, honestly, yeah. that I am, I wish existed. You know, it's, it's always a pleasant surprise when it's like, oh, Someone's making this. Yeah, you know? I'm excited for a PS2 HDMI. That Which I do think Dan, is happening, Dan, Dan, right? Dan's working on. Yeah, it now, yeah, you know? yeah. You know, our, like a RGB mod for 3DO, which <laughs> Dan is also working on. So. <laughs> right here. I mean, we have nothing like planned, it, do we? You mean in terms of like documentaries or just? Yeah, like well, I mean, that's, like, documentary stuff is something that I could, I hope that we get more chances to do, especially stuff like, like M2, I would love to go and 
talk to people, uh, different developers. Yeah. We actually often. we actually visited uh, Digital Eclipse. Yeah. Uh, in in you know the the San Francisco Bay Area, um, to mostly to get stuff for the M2 documentary because they kind they're kind of like the American equivalent of M2. Um, and, and they invited us to shoot like as much as we wanted. So we ended up in interviewing a ton of people at Digital Eclipse because I wanted to do a, a video that goes into the differences between when Digital Eclipse was cranking out these gigantic compilations uh, years ago, like on the PS2 and earlier, and then they kind of disappeared for a while and came back, and now they're doing these more curated focus collections. Uh, you know, how, how are they different now compared to then? You know, a lot of like, yeah. So we so we're we're planning to put together like a complete piece on them, but there's definitely other companies we. I mean, we really want to go back to Japan, and we've got maybe some possible inroads to yeah. either certain companies or maybe even just individual people, I mean, like like musicians or something, just well, to do I profiles mean, on them. I, I mean, mean, it's possible. Like a dream project would be like a Yuzo Koshiro complete works. I can't even, I can't even imagine that. I don't even know what I. <laughs> David Wise. I mean, yeah. I I tried to interview David Wise at Magfest a few years ago, but it, it didn't work out. <laughs> we had a couple of near misses with him. Yeah, we were running around the hotel and just missed him several times. It's, it's hard. It's hard to see uh, where all the hands are oh, up here. Oh, what would you prefer? Um, I mean, the way that my setup has been set up for. A while, uh, I've been favoring using like the OSSC on a PV <laughs> on, on my OLED TV, mm. uh, and certainly, you know, in my opinion, the colors are better on the OLED through the OSSC than through mm. a, a on PVM. Um, but and, and it's like one frame of lag. It's, it's on my TV. I mean, not the OSSC, but that's been my way of playing because you know, big TV, comfortable seat. Um, I'm actually planning to sort of rearrange things uh, because I don't have room in my living room for everything anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to like make a separate retro space, uh, and that is going to be very much PVM focused. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm pretty. I don't have a strong preference, honestly, and and I think that's. I think some people think we're like opinionated or something, but like. <laughs> I, I'm pretty, I, I think this stuff is interesting, but I'm like, I'm not like hardlined about any particular yeah. way, you know. Yeah. I'd say PVM all day long. I, mean, I, <laughs> I just prefer it, and it's, you know, the way it's integrated in my setup just makes it easier to capture. You know, a lot of times I will have, I have a monitor, like a, uh, like a computer monitor also mounted above the uh, PVM so I can watch what I'm capturing up there and playing on the PVM. But, uh, right up here. As a lot of times when we kind of get into getting into an episode, it, it's, we're, we're kind of learning it at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so and yeah. That, that would be, that would be a prime example where we don't really know at all. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, I, we're, we're not afraid to say that we don't we don't know a lot of things when. Or just ask Bob. Yeah. <laughs> we we have a lot of people that you know these episodes would not be possible without because you know we have a lot of people at fact check, make suggestions you know walk us through things. You know, Bob is very much one of those people. Uh, Artemio Urbina, who makes the, made the 240p test suite. We, the nicest person in the world, <laughs> probably. And, yes, uh, not probably, <laughs> definitely. We would, 
the stuff would not be nearly as complete without everybody's help. Mm -hmm. We would not be able to do what we do without them. Yeah, as far as the Marty goes, I mean, I think, I, I mean, hey, I, video output mods were made for the virtual boy. So any, I guess anything is possible, but it depends on if anyone has the interest to do it. But what I would say for systems like that that probably aren't going to have an RGB mod or whatever, uh, you know, the RetroTink is like my go-to recommendation mm -hmm. for if you, if you have to use, if you're stuck with composite or S video or some lower grade signal, like that is right now, I feel the best way to get a good signal out of those systems for an HDTV. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm definitely coming back to the uh, controller thing. I, I want to do a first party controllers episode. Even the third party's controller, third party controllers episode was like our, our most popular non-RGB video. So of course we're gonna kinda come back and do something with that. And I do wanna do something on first party controllers so I can... Like the different variations. Yeah, like different variations, but also uh, some other stuff like the, like the mission stick from like the Sega Saturn mission stick. Stuff like that I think would be a, so much fun to do an episode. And that's already like planned. It's just a matter of finding a time to do it. That was, that was a very unique situation where we edit our own segments and then put together for a video that somehow is almost an hour long. It was, yeah. it was, it was nice to be able to make a video that was only our parts were uh, not very long and then come together yeah. to make something really. Yeah, it's like you put in the effort that was half of the video's length and it's like, oh, we released this huge video, yeah. but it didn't feel like it. And That's always nice. Like something like that happened with the Mega SG as well. You know, I did yeah. all the sound stuff and then we had this video that was probably twice as long than it needed to be. <laughs> but we, we always love to hear that when people are like, oh, I like I, I love this thing that you do that isn't RGB. Like, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. It's yeah, always yeah. really nice to hear people say that because, like, a lot of people, you know, watch us for RGB, and that's mm -hmm. okay. But, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to hear, hear that as well. Uh, over here. <laughs> CRT calibration. Uh, I mean, CRT calibration videos. I a have, mistake. Yeah, we, I should not, never have mentioned it, and, and I would, I would, I would like to do it. But there is a YouTube channel called Retro Tech that does more stuff with you know service monitor uh, menus and PVMs and everything than we could ever hope to cover. And I highly recommend checking out Retro Tech on, on YouTube because his stuff is also. You know, lives in. Uh, well, he lives down by Nashville, so it's oh, like yeah. like only like four hours away from me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of the HD Retrovision Dreamcast cables, you know, hopefully, we're hoping that that's like the cutoff point for like, okay, we're waiting for more Dreamcast stuff yes. before we do a comprehensive Dreamcast episode. Like that's what we're waiting for. It's like, okay, when the HD Retrovision cables are available. Yeah. I don't care what comes out for Dreamcast after that. We're, we're finally going to do the episode. <laughs> It'd be nice if it was this year. It'd be uh, nice. Uh, we'll see. Uh, anybody else? Oh, up here. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tricky situation because... I mean, the system won't even really come on if you don't have the... I, I've never done, like, Wii Homebrew or anything, or Wii U Homebrew, so I don't, 
don't know if there's like a workaround for like how you have to use the tablet, but I mean that could, you know, people are probably going to have to like come up with like new battery designs or and stuff. Like, is the is it yeah, goes away? I mean, I don't know like how reliable the hardware is really going to be. I mean, I'd like to hope it's going to be reasonably reliable, but anything with like a you know that needs active cooling like a fan, I always yeah. do worry a little bit about that. But I don't really know a lot about. And it's strangely, as soon as it they stopped manufacturing, they pulled it from store shelves. It seems like it just disappeared everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that'd be interesting. Yep, right up here. Um, I mean, we are pretty close. Like, I've kind of taken the lead on the Nintendo stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're pretty close to the end of of those. I mean, of course, we're still going to continue to do update videos on systems as new things come out. But, like, you know, the main original RGB 200, um, gosh, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I really... I want to get into. I still. I've been starting to get Game Gear games, but I don't have a Game Gear yet. I'm kind of excited to do the Game Gear episode because I want to finally get around to having some sort of yeah. usable, consoleized Game Gear. Uh, and PC Engine. I mean, that's yeah, a PC system. Yeah, PC Engine is a big one too. Yeah. PC Engine is a is oh, a fun a- system because there's a lot of different hardware to look at, yeah. and we think we have access to almost everything. Yeah, as far as as far as I know. Um, yeah. You know, not all stuff that we own, but, you know, we can get access to. Uh, and that's just a fun thing to look at because of just how many <laughs> there are. And that, it's a system that I've been really, I've come to appreciate in a way that I didn't think I would. Mm-hmm. So. Up here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, plasmas. I mean, I don't know. I can't. I can't bring another TV in my house. Now. It'll <laughs> kill me, if, especially I, if it's like a like a plasma. Every once in a while, I'll see a plasma at a thrift store, and I'm like, oh, I should just have that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I never pull the trigger. Uh, I mean, personally, I mean this. This might just be biased because, like, my the mo- most of my exposure to plasma has been uh, my 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 aunt and uncle have a few plasma TVs, and I don't know if they just were not calibrated right or whatever, but I always thought they looked really washed out. I was never that impressed by them, although like I like you know true video files, you know, I guess still think plasma has like the best color ever. I've not been impressed with what I have seen, but I'm sure there are much better plasmas than the ones that I've really spent a lot of time looking at. I would love to have one because just because it's a valuable, different type of display technology uh, that I would like to be able to show and know more about. But and you've been kind of dabbling in projectors. I have, yeah. Uh, that I've I've uh, a store near me like kind of sells like it's it's a Goodwill owned store, but it's like all electronics and old games and stuff. And, uh, you know, you can just walk in there and, you know, buy any number of different kinds of projectors for not much money. And I, I do want to do an episode that's like, you know, can you dip your toe into gaming on projectors without spending a lot of money? And I think the answer is yes. So I think that's, 
I think I think that's that's pretty fun. I mean, I bought this projector from like I think it's like a 2007 model. Uh, that, from what I can tell, is probably like a mid, upper range, uh, home theater projector. It takes the Super Nintendo games through the OSSC at 5x. I mean, there you go. What more do you want? <laughs> Um, and, and CDI, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, there was a CDI at my dentist's office, and I, I always like regretted that I never worked up the courage to ask him before he retired. Like, do you like? Do you really need that? <laughs> <laughs> right here. CRT calibration. <laughs> well, one of one of the most difficult videos, uh, and it was just really a timing thing uh, for me. Was late last year we did a video that was kind of an update on GameCube video quality because there had been a number of devices that came out since we did our first GameCube video, and we're like, oh, let's you know cover the GCHD that was an HDMI adapter, and let's cover the Carby, which is also an HDMI adapter. And like right, a, like right, like a week after I started like writing the stuff, then Eon was like, "Oh, we're making, we're we're teasing something new," and uh, and then Insurrection Gaming, who makes the Carby, was like, "Oh, we're also making component cables." And I'm like, "Dang it!" It was it was such a moving target, and you said, "I don't want to play the, the GameCube for." forever <laughs> it was yeah it was so that like you, you said I, I never i've never hated making an episode as much as i make it it was it was it was it was just really difficult because like i just was stumbling blocks along the way just because of the timing of everything and trying to, to test everything and, and I, I wish i had picked another topic and then done that like a month later but uh <laughs> it was it was a very difficult process of just testing everything i mean i thought that GameCube video was like more of like a settled thing by that point, right. but it turned out that like there were still some uh, some bugs with like the open source firmware that like hadn't been discovered yet because no one had made an analog or really sold an analog variant of of the of the open source GC video stuff yet. So it was it it it, it took some work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, right here. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't. Neither one of us have one yet. I've I got, mean, maybe I've got two games. Oh, you do have. You want? <laughs> I don't have a system. <laughs> sorry, sorry, there's no more definitive answer than that. But I don't think there's a, there's no video output for it, is there? I mean, as far as we know, it's not. Yeah, I mean, everyone says get the Swan Crystal, but yeah. I don't have one. <laughs> yep, yeah. back here. Ooh. Uh, way too many Genesis and Master System games. Yeah, it's... same for both of us. Like, I mean, what is, is, is this a common thing in this area? Like, like, there's not really much Genesis. I mean, Genesis stuff in, in North Carolina where I live is, you know, it's okay. Master System, not much. Like, Genesis and Master System everywhere. Almost any game you could want for those systems this year. I, I think that there's a lot of excitement for the Genesis and Master System right now. Starting, you yeah. know, with the Mega SG and then... You know, Genesis continuing with, mini. like, the mini coming yep. Yep. You know, 
month or so. Yeah, but that, that's really what I focused on. I, I bought one PC Engine CD game and a PS2 game, but other than that, it's all Master <laughs> System and Genesis. Uh, anybody else? Oh, right here. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's, that's kind of a like our main, so, probably our next update video. Yeah, it'll be similar to you know that GameCube video that we did last year. Mm -hmm. uh, just it probably won't be as extensive. I'm reluctant to say that because maybe it will be. <laughs> the GameCube video was was twice as long. The update video was twice as long as the 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 200 level. I don't think it was twice as long, but it was longer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's going to have stuff with you know the ultra HDMI versus the. Uh, you know, the RGB mod with the D-Blur. Right. See how that Because compares. the D-Blur on RGB didn't exist when we did the first episode. Yeah. That episode's you know, obviously old like by Super now. 64 and stuff like that, too. Uh, anybody else? Oh, right over here. I'd say OSSC. Um, I, th I I think the Xtron is a big part of it. If you want to hook, hook up multiple things, or the G Scart. Yeah. I, the G Scart or a G Comp. If yeah. you wanted to go component, the Xtron is handy. Is a good component switcher as well, though. Uh, certainly. Uh, so uh, yeah. PBM and. Uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 oh, the the tricky thing is, it, it's hard for us to get into like a realistic mindset with that because we like. We, we gotta like, we gotta play, we gotta capture, we gotta stream, like we're trying to send signals to so many different things and it's always like, well, are you a streamer? Are you, you're just trying to play video games. So, so, so in that case, like, you know, PVM or OSSC, you choose one or the other, you don't need both. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you wanna connect multiple systems, I definitely recommend getting something like the G-Scart or the G-Comp or an Extron. Yeah, but I mean, even that, you don't even need to do, you can just do one system at a time. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, Bob Bob just like rolls his stuff around on a car. Bob knows how to deal with PVMs in a Brooklyn apartment yeah. or, or a Manhattan apartment. <laughs> but I mean, I, I do feel that like, you know, the OSSC is, is the way to go. Yeah. No? Or, or optical drive emulators and flashcards yeah. might also help your cause. Oh yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's very true. Uh, anybody else? Nope. Okay. Right over here. Oh, up here. Yep. Yep. We've been asked that a bit. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, there's, there's a really good uh, channel called Ep uh, Epos Box that does a lot of stuff about, uh, you know, streaming profiles, how to capture and stream, like with uh, um, OBS and stuff like that. Way more extensive than, than anything that, that yeah, we would probably like, be able to like, do because like he has a whole series on on streaming with OBS. Yeah, like I, I've relied on his videos to understand like, you know, some bitrate and encoding type stuff. And Also lives down by, uh, yeah, like Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky, Ohio, <laughs> Indiana. It's, it is, <laughs> really? it is, it's crazy. Um, I mean, is that, is that, are we good? All right. Well, thanks everybody for coming. <laughs> Please exit out the third floor, please. Thank you. <laughs>